This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. And this is 101.9 High FM. Uh, we just listened to the fact that 101 um, is a very, very powerful number. In fact, as I was just listening to the ad about it having life, it, you know, it says there is a Gemara that says that if somebody learns a thing a hundred times, it's very good. But when he learns it the hundred and first time, it's even better. And that's something that we Jewish people do. We keep on going back to the primary texts and then looking at all the explanations and, um, and, and, uh, Narrative behind behind the the Torah over and over again because we are studying God's wisdom, and in God's wisdom there is always insight and there is always direction as to how we should live our lives. And as you know, on my hour on a Monday, we're sitting and learning primary text. Yes, it is a mystical text. Um, it is the five books of Moses. We're in the book of Genesis. We're in the Parsha, in the portion of this whole story of Noah. And we have been riding the waves of turbulence with Noah, understanding what happened from a historical perspective. But more importantly, and most fundamentally, um, the, 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 book of Torah, the stories of the Bible are not only there just to give us, you know, roots and tell us who we are and where we came from and what happened in really days gone by, but also to teach us and guide us and give us lessons that we need to learn today. So as we are learning about Noah and his trials and tribulations, his travels on this humongous, humongous ark, we are also getting lessons for life. And in getting the lessons for life, um, I always like to know that you guys out there are enjoying it or participating or learning from it as much as, as I do. And I always, always encourage dialogue, questions, comments. Uh, WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019. Our SMS number is 34519. So we're going to kick off in the middle of Chapter 8 uh what we did last week is that we finished up and just understood a chronological uh, overview of what happened. The flood lasted, in fact, for 12 months. Uh, we learned that, and uh, towards the end, we know that Noah sent out a raven, and then he sent out a dove three times to ascertain if it was safe enough to go out of the ark. And we ended off on the third expedition of the dove, where the dove never returned. And that, Noah understood, was to mean that the place... The world, the planet, planet Earth was becoming um, habitual, habitable, that we could go back and live in it. And we are now going to pick up on verse 15 of chapter 8, where um, they are now allowed to leave the ark. Very, very interestingly, you will see that um, they did not leave the ark until God gave them the commandment. But let's look into the verses and then again pick up some pointers of understanding the nuance behind the, the the words and the letters of the Torah and then of course learning some life lessons for ourselves. God spoke to Noach and he said, Leave the ark. 
Ata v'ishtecha, you and your wife, uvanecha unashei vanecha itach, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. V'kol hachaya asher itcha, and all the animals that are with you, mikol basar, all the flesh, all the, the, the domestic animals, um, Sorry, we call basar ba'of ba'behema, and all the all the flesh, including birds and domestic animals, haremes haromes ala aretz, and those that also even creep onto the earth. Hatsei itach, go out with you. Ve'sharzu ba'aretz, ve'puru uruvu ala aretz, and then you must breed and multiply. On the earth. So for those that have been following, um, the, the, the teachings and everything that we've been listening to will straight away pick up from these three verses, two, three verses that we've just read that there is a change in the description of, of them leaving the ark as opposed to when they entered the ark. If you recall, we said that when we entered the ark, it said, and you and your sons and your wife and your wife's sons must come into the ark. Now we see it says, leave the ark, you along with your wife and your sons with your son's wife. And from here, the rabbis immediately pick up that God now gives them permission um, again to Engage in marital relations. If you remember, we learned that, uh, the reason why the Torah described it as you and your sons and your wife and your wife's sons, that once they entered into the ark, they had to, the, the marital relations was prohibited and not only for themselves, not only for the human beings on the ark, but also along with the, the animals that were in the ark. Now the flood was over, it was certainly permitted, and this was the main reason that Noah actually went and saved all the many species is so that they would get out of the ark and they would replenish the world. Now, this is an interesting idea because um, the truth is it, it's pretty logical, like we are saving the world, and now when we're coming, we're getting out of the ark, like, why did God have to give them the commandment that you can come out? He says it in his words that you and your wife can come out, your your son and your son's wives are coming out. And at the end, he says, breed and multiply on the earth. Surely, surely, they didn't need explicit permission because that's the way of the world. That's what we do, and that's really the whole reason why uh, Noah saved everything. So this comes and teaches us an important rule. Let's give an example. Suppose somebody says, I'm taking upon myself not to, uh, not to drink wine. Okay. For, 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 for because it's so expensive. Okay. He sees that, uh, he's, he's spending too much on wine and he resolves not to drink wine for an entire year. Now, in Torah law, this is considered a vow. So unless his vow is nullified, the person who took this prohibition upon himself, is forbidden to drink wine during this entire period, even if the price of wine goes down. And that is the way the halakha, that is the way the Torah um, sees the law. If you take upon yourself a vow and say, I'm not going to drink wine now for the next year, it's e- and even if your motivation was because it was too expensive, even if it becomes cheap now, you cannot do it unless... Um, that vow is um, 
is 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 annulled. So if something is specifically forbidden, it remains so even if the reason for the prohibition no longer exists. Now, taking that example and understanding what happened with Noah, God said to Noah, leave the ark, you along with your wife, your sons and your son's wife. Okay, and we know when God told Noah to enter the ark, he said, you come into the ark, you together with your sons, your wife and your wife's sons. So you can see that what God is actually doing now is he is um, he is annulling that prohibition. So even though it it made probably logical, natural sense that now that we're out of the ark, the world can go back to its normal way of life and it can you know, the, everybody can, can go back to having marital relations and, and, and being fruitful and multiply. They did not do so until God actually issued a, another commandment that now leave you and your wife and your son and your son's wife, along with all the animals, please breed and multiply, um, on the earth. So, um, that, that is something interesting and something that, that actually bears Importance because today one of the things that we are very lax in is, is, is our word. When somebody says to you, I will do X or I will get this done or I will, you know, I promise to do X, Y, Z. Today we have a, um, very much a lackadaisical attitude towards it. People don't fulfill their promises. People don't fulfill what it is that they need. And, and, and your word is not, is, is not strong. Torah looks upon a person each and every one of us, that when we commit to doing something, that when we, 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 we apply ourselves to something, that we actually see that that gets done. And we learn that very powerfully from, um, from this now, that there is a start and a finish, and when it's finished, you have to issue out something else that now changes the status and that we remain true to our word. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back. And uh, we are studying the Parsha of Noah, the portion that um, deals with the story of Noah. We're in chapter 8, verse 18. We are going to start very soon. And just before the break, we were discussing giving your word. Like, how do you guys feel out there about saying something and making sure that it follows through? Do you think it's something that... uh, you can trust people on? Is it something that uh, you're very wary of? How do you as a person react, A, to when something is said to you and it doesn't happen? Are you a person of integrity and, and make sure that it happens? Do you think that it's okay for people to change their minds halfway? Be a very, very interesting discussion. You can WhatsApp on 061-895-1019 or SMS on 34519. Interestingly, there is another nuance um, in the verses that we had just read previously to the break, where it says, "Hatze itach, let them go out with you." Now, in in the the, the Hebrew script, sometimes we have uh, a kri uchsiv, which means that you kri, you read it one way, but it's written in another way, um, and. If you have that situation where you see a word written one way but pronounced another way, it comes to actually teach us a very, very important lesson. We've got that now in the word Hatse. 
Okay. Um, so the expression say um, literally means let let them come out. But when you read it, it reads say, which means m- take them out. So here we actually understand that God was giving the instruction to Noah to allow each animal to leave the ark together with its mates. But Noah only had to inform the animals, not remove them physically. Okay, so if the animals refused, Noah had to take them out even physically. So here we can see that they were supposed to walk out. I'd say let them go out with you. But if they refused to come out, I'd say you'd actually have to force their hand, so to speak, and take them out. And it's, it's, we are told that when the earth dried up, Noah's son said, okay, check, look, the dove, the dove hasn't come back. Everything's dried up. Let's leave the ark. And Noah replied again, and here, this is the, the concept of keeping your word. He said, since God commanded us to enter the ark, we cannot leave without permission. Um, and in fact, it says Noah prayed to God regarding this, and God said, you're not going to be leaving until the full 12 months have been completed. And we discussed last week, you can go back to the podcast to see why they actually had, why this flood continued for exactly 12 weeks, 12 months, apologies, 12 months. Verse 18 reads as follows. And Noah left the ark together with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives. V'chol ha'chaya, and every animal, v'chol ha'remes, and every creepy thing, v'chol ha'of, and every bird, v'chol romes ala aretz, and everything that creeps on the earth, ele mishpatechem, yatsu minateva, each left their ark according to their families. Well, this should be ringing bells. We just read that God annulled, annulled the vow of having to remain separate in the ark by, by, by the verse saying, Now, Noah, you can leave together with your wife and your son together with their wives, giving them full permission to go back to live a normal life. But when he actually does the deed, Noah, the verse flips back again. Vayetze Noah ubanav. Noah came out, him and his sons, ve'ishto unashei banav ito, and his wife, and his wife's sons. So now it seems that Noah is actually contradicting God's, God's commandment. Okay, because here we see that the sexes, um, were separated again. Why? So we are told that Noah found it very, very difficult to re-establish himself and go back to a normal way of living after this huge trauma of watching the entire world being wiped out. It was very, very, very difficult to go back to a normal state of living. And we can understand that from a psychological point of view. Um, when people are put in an unnatural state, and I guess Probably a good example would be like in the time of the Holocaust where people saw the, the, the destruction in the extermination camps and the depravity and the inhumanity that they had to suffer. Um, it, it took a tremendous amount of courage, a tremendous amount of vulnerability, um, a tremendous amount of turning around in order for them to come out after 
like being in the, 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 the hell of earth and say, you know what? I'm going to live normally again. I'm going to, to, to get married. I'm going to have kids, etc., etc. So, um, this is something that we can actually understand. And the Torah actually gives us a viewpoint into the fact that Noah found it personally difficult to reestablish, even though God had given him the commandment. Yes, he does so. He does reestablish normality, and so do all the animals. But in the beginning, when they stepped out into the world, it was very, very difficult to change that paradigm. Um, just thinking about it now um, and just trying to understand the way that Noah felt, um, I think a- a- another way of understanding it on a far less uh, less intense manner because thank God all of us around today, the majority of us were not in extermination camps and we're not understanding, you know, don't un- un- understand the depravity, etc. But um, in my mind, it's the same thing um, for anybody who has unfortunately been in the situation of sitting shiver for a loved one. So you get cocooned for seven days in the process of shiver. You don't leave the house. You don't indulge in the normal things that happen uh, during that period of time. And then comes the end of shiver. They pick you up and they make you walk around the block, kind of like to reestablish yourself back into the normality of life where you can, you know, argue that the donut was stale and that the, the robot wasn't working and things that actually became superfluous and, you know, not meaningful at all while you're sitting in that mournful state. And it does you, well, I can say from experience, but I'm sure there, there must be um, some of you out there that will agree. You could let me know on 34519 if you do, that it takes a while to reintegrate yourself into the daily activity of just living what we would deem uh, a normal life. It's really, really difficult. And so here we see the Torah saying, God said to now go out. Be fruitful and multiply, live a normal life. But when Noah and all the animals go out, they go out, but they find it difficult to reintegrate. And you have to give them the space and the time to integrate back in again. Um, also, one of the other um, hesitations that Noah had was that he did not want to reunite back with his wife until God would promise him that he would never bring a flood again to the, to the world. And now when we are going to look at uh, the, the following verses, verses 20 to 25, 22, I think it's verses to 22, um, you will see that God gives him this guarantee that, yes, Noah, you, you are going to have to, um, you're going to be able to have more, more uh, children, etc., etc., and repopulate the world because I promise now I'll never destroy the world again. Let's look inside and see the actual verses. We're now looking at verse 20 of chapter 8. It says the following, Vayiven Noach Mizbeach Lahashem, Noach built an altar to God, Vayikach Mikol HaBehema HaTohira, he took um, of all the clean domestic animals, umikol ha'of hatahor, and of all the clean birds, of all the birds that are kosher, vayal oilois vamizbeach, and he sacrificed a burnt offering on the altar. Now, what basically happened is that Noah completed the evacuation of the ark, and he had arranged all things in their proper place, 
And he started thinking to himself, why do you think that God commanded me to bring seven of each kosher creature into the world? If it was just to replenish the world, I could have brought in a single pair. But in understanding that God told him to bring more than that, he understood that he actually had to bring a thanksgiving offering, something to show his appreciation for God um, saving his life. And this is why he took only of the kosher animals and kosher birds. Um, the second thing is, is where did he build this altar? So we told, we are told that Noah went to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem and he went to the altar that Adam himself had built when he wished to offer a sacrifice to God. And it was on that altar that Noah had offered the sacrifices of every type of kosher animal and bird. Here again, we can ask the question, if Noah used Adam's altar, why does it say, Vayiven Noah Mizbech, that Noah built an altar? Why, why say that? Just say, go, he went and used Adam's altar. Why did it say he built one? So, in previous discussions, we were told that the flood didn't cover the whole of the Holy Land. We learned that the, the the heat was very intense there, and it caused that's what caused all the people to die. So um, it could be that Noah's that sorry that Adam Adam's altar was still there, but it certainly could not have been. It would have probably been an impossibility that Adam's altar remained completely intact. Remember that now Adam's um, altar would be 1,657 years old. That's how many years had elapsed since Adam was created. So even though Noah did not build an entirely new altar, his work, um, what he did was he restored it properly, and therefore it was called Vayiven, um, and, and he built. Now, Vayiven, as a play on words, um, comes from the word Bina. Okay, Bina means to... Build, but bina also means to have bane, to have understanding. We know that our three, um, we, we have ten faculties, human faculties, uh, through which we express ourselves in the world. There are three, uh, intellectual faculties and seven emotional faculties. The three intellectual faculties, those three garm, three garments, three ways in which we, um, we connect to the world, is through Chochmah, Bina, and Dat, through wisdom, through understanding, and through knowledge. That's the way it can be um, explained. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And just so everybody can understand what these three faculties are, Chochmah is that ability of the brain to take in a concept and understand it in its entirety, in its, in its, in its pointedness, in a, in a minute, or to, to, to grasp a certain idea as an overall idea. For example, if I said to you, and say you did not know mathematics, I said to you, listen, there's a law in this world, one plus one equals two. Where do you use your faculty of Chochmah? You're taking an understanding, one plus one equals two. This is what is being said. This is the, the theory. This is the statement. This is the expression. And you take it in, in a pointed way. Then, if you were really wanting to understand one plus one equals two, 
you would say to yourself, explain to me, how does one plus one equal two? That how is the next intellectual faculty that you will employ, binna, understanding. We will say, well, look, here I have one apple and here I have another apple. And if I take this apple and that apple, now we have two apples. And that is an example of one plus one equals two. And we can expound a lot in the, in the area of Bina trying to understand that Nakuda, that point, that, that expression that we hear or that idea that we get. We now open it up from Chokhmah into Bina into actually understanding what is being said. Finally, we have the, fun, the, the, the intellectual capacity of da'at, which is knowledge, which is then taking that which you now understand it in its entirety and you, you apply it to your daily life. So chokhmah is one plus one equals two. I'm just giving you out the statement. That's the expression. That's the theory. That's what we've got to learn. That's the nakuda. That's the point. Bina is how does one plus one equal two? And I will give you examples and I will show you mathematically how it works. Once we've understood that, we integrate it into ourselves and we go to the third level of da'at where we actually take um, those those uh those ideas and apply it. I will go to the shop and know that if I have one rand and one rand, I actually now have two rand. Or if I get this and this, it's one plus one and now it's two and we actually integrate it into it that way. So um that is really how the, our intellectual faculties work. So going back to the verse, Vayiven Noach uh, some rabbis going to say, yes, he built it, but what he really, really built was that he actually understood. He understood an altar, meaning he understood that when one is saved from a calamity, one needs to offer um, sacrifices. And um, he understood that this is what he had to do next. And so it wasn't really a fact that he rebuilt or refurbished Adam's altar, but it's coming to teach us about an understanding of what he needs to do. Again, a, a life lesson here that many, many times in life we do. We actually work in the realm of Chokhmah. We work in the realm of, of Bina. We, we, we hear things. We hear line items. We, we hear theories and, 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 and we, we gain information. We might go very deeply into Bina. But what is important is that we actually take that bina and make it into a dart and into understanding what is the next step. How do I apply that knowledge? Today we run after knowledge so much. We, you know, it's, it's, it's considered, um, imperative in our lives that we gain knowledge, but not too many people know what to do with that knowledge afterwards, how to better the world with it, how to apply it, how to use that sense of I've learned this now. How do I apply it in my lives? And um, that's that's really that's really quite a, a big challenge. It's kind of like you know, like saying to people, "Don't do as I uh, do as I uh, don't." How does it go? Don't um, do do as I do. Don't do as I say. Because some lots of people have got lots of things to argue about and and. Um, Comment about and extrapolate and theorize and, and, and argue about, but when it comes to brass tacks and getting something done and taking that knowledge and applying it, people shy away from it. Here, no had the intuition and the understanding, the binner to go and say, right, now it's time to say thank you to God and go out and, and sacrifice. So a very, very, um, powerful lesson 
in that indeed. Chai FM um, is many things to many people. Chai FM is your source of the latest news from the Middle East. Chai FM is your platform for learning. Chai FM is your companion, and Chai FM is your connection to a greater community. For 10 years, Chai FM has brought you award-winning radio, and now we are asking you to partner with us on Lagba Omer, Thursday, the 23rd of May, for the Chai FM Feed Our Fire Radiothon, where we ask, where, where you help us to keep bringing you everything that keeps us a great radio station. Call, pledge, challenge. The call center's number will be 010-140-4090. Cause this is Chai FM, unprescribed, unscripted, uncensored. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. And we are now going to listen to what God says when Noah comes to bring that sacrifice. We're on verse 21 of chapter 8. Vayarach Hashem et reach hanichoach. God smells the appeasing fragrance, talking about the, the sacrifice that, he, that Noah just gave. Vayomer Hashem el God says to himself, Lo asif lekalel od Et ha'adama ba'avur ha'adam. Never again will I curse, curse the soil because of man. Ki lef ha'adam ra min Because the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Ve'lo osif od lehakot et kol ha'chai, et kol chai ka'asher asiti. And I will never again strike down all of life as I have done. And finally, the last verse, Od kol yemei ha'aretz, zera vekatsir, kor vachom, v'kaitz v'choref, v'yom v'layla, lo yishpotu. And as long as the earth lasts, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not again cease. So let's just uh, dissect a little bit about what God was saying. First of all, it says God smelt the appeasing fragrance. Um, this is uh, is 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 a... Uh, a fancy language for saying that God willingly accepted Noah's sacrifice. But because God can see um, in hindsight and foresight, God also took into account, we are told, the merit of Abraham, who would come after Noah, as well as um, Noah's descendants, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All of those people, Abraham, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, are all characters in the Bible that were cast into a furnace to be martyred for their belief in God. Um, and th- it says, by the way, that none of these people experienced any pain from the flames. Um, one would expect, God forbid, if someone is thrown into a, fly, a fire, that your clothes be burnt, that there would be a terrible stench that comes out. But it says this, these people came out. And the, by the way, those other three characters are from Daniel, from the book of Daniel. And they all came out from the flames smelling like fragrant apple cider. And it says about them, too, that God smelled the appeasing fragrance. So it says that the beautiful fragrances of these saints... Um, caused God to make the number of promises to Noah and his children. So the first promise was God's oath never to bring another flood to destroy the world. And even though it doesn't come explicitly that God says, I'm making an oath, we can understand it because 
the word lo osef, lo osef, um, is repeated twice. So let me read it to you again in Hebrew. It says, vayomer Hashem alibo lo osef. Sorry, osef lekalel od. I will no longer, I, I, I will no, never again curse the soil. And then a little bit later he says, velo osef od lehakot et kocha. I will no longer strike it out again. Now here is a halacha again that if you have an expression, lo osef twice, it's like saying never ever, or saying no no, or saying yes yes. So it says that in Torah, when um, there is an expression that is repeated twice, it has the force of an oath. So for example, say Reuben asks Shimon to do him a favor, and Shimon says no no. He repeats the word. Okay, it's considered an oath that he never ever will do that again. And if he changes his mind, he has to annul. His, 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 no, no. Same thing as if you even say, yes, yes. Okay. Or you'll say, I'll swear, I'll do it. Yes, yes, I'll do it. Then it, it becomes an oath and you have to ensure that, that you keep it. Otherwise you have to go through a process of annulling your oaths. That is the whole process of Kol Nidre, um, which is before we start the fast of Yom Kippur, we have a whole thing where we say Kol Nidre, all oaths and promises and swearings and undertakings we are taking, they should be null and void. It's actually in the future because we want to come into the new year cleansed and just in case we come to that point where we make that oath that we actually are not binding ourselves um, on it. Very interestingly. So here Hashem, so to speak, swore that he would never bring a flood. And interestingly, until the time of King Solomon, listen to this, until the time of King Solomon, a, a reminder, an annual reminder remained. What used to happen? So during those 40 days from the 17th of Cheshvan to the 29th of Kislev, a flood would take place, the world would change, and signs of the floods were visible. Never ever destroyed, but um, that continued until King Solomon built the first temple. The other interesting thing that I want to bring to your attention is that it says here this, uh, this oath lasted until uh, the words as long as the earth lasts, meaning as long as the world is the way it is, as long as heaven and earth endured, this oath is in effect. Way down the line, after the messianic process, and after the resurrection of the dead, and after a time where God will give everybody the recompense, we are told that God will destroy the earth completely and renew it. And at that time, God will not be restrained by his earth. So God gives his promise now a time. He says, as long as the earth lasts, meaning during the time of our existence, um, we won't see such a catastrophe happening again. So that's the first idea. The second idea is that a huge change happened after the flood. Before the flood, um, there was abundant leisure in the world. Nothing, 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 nobody was disturbed. Nothing, nothing happened. People didn't have any major worries. A child never died during its parents' lifetime. People didn't have to work very hard for sustenance. 
It says that um, a single crop would yield enough food for 40 years. Nobody had to make a special effort to harvest their crops. They obtained everything that they needed simply by strolling through the fields. Um, they also weren't afraid of, of wild animals. The climate was also very good. It was never hot, not too cold, not too hot. It was basically spring all year round. Now, once the, the people sinned and the flood happened, that worthiness, all those benefits were taken away. And the world's nature changed. Now suddenly we, we suffer from all sorts of infirmities. We have to now work hard for our food. Um, we unfortunately see children die young and, and in tragic ways. The air's changed. The climate is not as beneficial, etc., etc. And how do we see that? From the verse that God says, he says, Od kol yemei ha'aretz zera vekatsir. As long as the earth lasts, there'll be zera vekatsir. Seed time and harvest. Kor vechom, cold and hot. Kayitz vechoref, summer and winter. Yom valala, day and night. Now what we're seeing is that God basically gave Six seasons. Let's just go through them. So it says that seed time starts in the middle of Tishrei, the 15th of Tishrei. That's about Sukkot time till the middle of Kislev. That's considered seed time. From the 15th of Kislev to the middle of Shvat is called winter. That's the coldest time of year. 15th of Shvat until the middle of Nisan, it's called cold. From the 15th of Nisan until the middle of Sivan is harvest. That's when the grain is harvested. From the 15th of Sivan until the middle of Av is the summer. That is the hottest time of the year. And then from the 15th of Av to the 15th of Tishrei, um, it's called heat. And the weather changes during these seasons are obviously um, God-given. And we know that when we land up with unseasonal changes, as we are suffering with today, we see that our, our, our clocks go out, our, our crops go, don't, don't, don't grow properly. We see a lot of disruption in this world. But one of the repercussions of the flood was that these seasons were put into place. Um, now maybe a better reminder that we are always in the hands of God, that things can change from one, 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 one time to another. Um, that is really the conclusion of Noah coming in um, out of the the ark. We haven't discussed the rainbow. That happens just a little bit later, and I'm going to have to tell you that you are going to tune in to Chai FM between 1 and 2 on a Monday next week to hear about the rainbow and the further comings and goings of Noah. To leave you with, again, in summation, the ideas um, that particularly came out in these verses um, the most prominent being that we need to live lives of integrity. We need to live lives of honesty. And our word is our word and that we need to, to keep to that, um, because that makes for a better, a, a better world. When we say one thing and do another, we're living a very duplicitous life, uh, and certainly a life that's not filled with integrity. And, um, can God forbid plunge us back into a situation where God looked upon the world and he was very, very saddened to see all the immorality and, uh, that, that was happening amongst men. Everybody have a wonderful week. This week is Lagba Omer. Hope to see you at, uh, the great Lagba Omer gathering where all of us come together 
All of us together, one man with one heart, and have a super week further.